You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. And a good word it is. If you want to grab your Bible, just keep it open to Hebrews 11. And a couple house cleaning things to get us started. Uh, one is if you are a visitor this morning, uh, thank you so much for being here. If this is your first time to be at Stonegate, it is such an honor to be able to worship Jesus with you. And we hope this is a day that the Lord really speaks to you in some deep and profound ways. And if this is your first time, if you'll make sure you grab that visitor card under your seat, you'll see a black side and a red side to it. If you'll make sure you grab that card, fill that card out during the service. At the end of our service, we'll pass around an offering basket. And we would love to have you put that card in that basket at the end. And that would really help us serve you well. So if you would do that for us, we would so greatly appreciate that. And then secondly, if you do not have a risk booklet like this, uh, can you go ahead and raise your hand there where you are? And we're going to have some people bring those around to you. Just loud and proud, right where you are, just raise your hand. Anybody that needs one of these? There we go. We've got a few of them. Just keep your hand up, and they will get one to you. We would love for everyone to have one of these, so just keep your hand up. They'll make their way around and, uh, and get you a booklet. So just keep that hand up until they, until they get there. And you can go ahead and, and turn in your booklet to page 54. That's where we're going to be today. Page 54 is uh, the place for the sermon notes for this week's sermon. And, uh, you know, if, if this is your first time, let me just kind of get you reacclimated to where we are. This is part four of a set of sermons on risk. And this set of sermons on risk is really connected to a larger season in the life of our church called All In. And All In's a two-year season, and it's a season where our primary goal, we've said this from the outset, our primary goal is we're asking the Lord to teach us what it means to walk by faith. So the number one goal we have for everyone in our church family is that every one of us, 100% of people who call Stonegate home, would go on the journey with Jesus of learning what does it look like to walk by faith. That's the number one goal. The secondary goal is this is a generosity season for us. So we are asking the Lord for $11.2 million. And that $11.2 million would go to several different things. It would go to cultivate ministry, to plant the gospel, and to put down roots. So that's our secondary goal. Number one goal has always been, God, show us what it looks like to walk by faith. Secondary goal is, God, would you please show us what it looks like to be a generous people? And, you know, let me just preface that whole two-year season by saying, this two-year season is the most important season thus far in the life of Stonegate. We're seven and a half years old. This is the most important two-year season that we've ever had because this two-year season and our generosity in this two-year season is going to set up the next 20 or 30 or 40 years of gospel ministry for our church family. So it's a massively important moment that we find ourselves in the middle of. Now, in light of that, uh, next Sunday, just want to walk through that with you really briefly. Next Sunday is our commitment, or you might think about it in terms of our recommitment Sunday. So, so next week is that moment where we are going to reestablish what does it look like uh, to, to open ourselves up to the Lord and to commit to one number that represents sacrificial, glad-hearted generosity over that last year of All In. And there's two things, you know, as you're thinking about that, that uh, I want to remind you of. One is that there's going to be varied responses to that. For some, if you weren't here last year, uh, when we made our uh, kind of a commitment for a two-year all-in season, if you missed last March, um, this is going to be a chance for you to jump in with us and to take that journey. What does it look like for me to walk by faith over this last year of all-in? So it's going to be an opportunity for you to jump in with us on that. For those who were here last year, for others, it's going to be a chance for you to, to, 
to, to just be encouraged by the Lord, to, to finish strong. And, you know, I know that for some, it's been a hard thing, that commitment we've made. And for us, it has. It's been a hard thing in month by month, you know, stepping into that and doing that. And so for others, it's going to be a chance to, to be encouraged by the Lord, refreshed by the Lord in that. And for others, it's going to be a chance for the Lord to challenge you. For some in, in the room, you made a commitment last year, but the Lord is going to be poking you and prodding you and taking you deeper into faith. And he's going to want another step of faith out of you. So whatever that's going to look like, we're just saying this week is the week for us to determine and get with the Lord and see clarity on what that's going to look like for us over the last year of All In. And many people have found on page 38, there's a sample gift uh, or a commitment card that we'll, we'll provide all these next week for you. But there's a sample of that on page 38. And there's a gift chart on page 38 that many people have found helpful as they're trying to process that with the Lord and get before the Lord and pray over what the Lord would have for them. Uh, many people have found it helpful to put that gift chart out in front of them as a way of just asking the Lord, God, would you please show me what it might look like for me and or my family to step into this last year of, of all in. And lastly, let me just remind you of this. I want to just clear, I just want to say this as clearly as I can repeatedly so that we're all on the same page with this. Our goal, like the, the bullseye that we're aiming at, the goal that we're aiming at is not you and a particular number, our church in a particular number. That's not the goal. The goal is that we would have the courage to be open before the Lord. Open before the Lord means that we come before him with an open heart, like our hearts are before God saying, God, my soul is a blank it's a blank before you. God, you do whatever you want in my life, in my soul. God, it's all yours. That's what an open heart looks like before the Lord. And, and so one of the things when you're talking about generosity that it looks like is it means us getting our most valuable possessions before the Lord and us asking the Lord, God, what would you want from me? What, what would you have for us, my family, me in particular, over this, this season of, of all in? Last week, we, we mentioned that one of the things we want everyone in our church family to do, me, every one of us to do, is to take our five most valuable possessions and to put those before the Lord and to ask the Lord, God, what would you want? And I don't know what the Lord's going to say to you. I don't know what all the Lord's going to say to me in that. But for us to be open-hearted before the Lord, and here's the reason why that's so important. If we... The, the reason why it's so important to get our valuable things before the Lord often is how else do we know if we're the rich young ruler or not? I mean, how, how do you know that about your life? How do I know about me? How do, I, how do we know that we're not the rich young ruler who, listen, was eventually ruined by his love for money? How do we know we're not him unless we continually get our most valuable things before the Lord and sit and listen and ask the Lord if he wants us to do anything with them? And I'm not saying that's gotta be, a I don't know what the Lord's gonna do with you in that. But I think the only way we can avoid being the rich young ruler is for us to have repeated moments where our most valuable things are before him and we stop and listen and submit and yield to him. So we're just encouraging everyone in our church family to do that. And I want you to hear this from me. I'm praying for you. I want you to be praying for me and our church family this week as we're seeking clarity from the Lord and what it would look like for that last year of all in. Today, is part four of risk. I think it's probably the most important sermon in this set of sermons. So man, I'm just praying that today God would like move into this place and do something in this room among us. So be praying for that as we jump in. Let, let me start today by introducing you to a guy named Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary to Burma in the 1800s and God blessed his labor there and just produced all sorts of great fruit from his labor in, in Burma. Uh, but at the same time, I want you to hear this, he experienced one of the most difficult lives I have ever read. 
I mean, just one loss after another in his life. Uh, He was rescued by Jesus in his early 20s. And soon thereafter, he decided, I'm going to give my life to get the gospel of Jesus Christ into unreached places. People who have no gospel witness there, who are gonna live and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. I'm gonna give my life to that. Soon thereafter, deciding that he's gonna give his life to that, he met a, a girl by the name of Anne and decided he wanted to marry Anne. And then when he decided he wanted to marry Anne, he wrote a letter to Anne's dad asking for Anne's hand in marriage. I wanna read you an excerpt of that letter. This is to Anne's dad from Adoniram Judson. This is just one part of it, one paragraph in it. I have now to ask you, Anne's dad, I have now to ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, to insult, to persecution, and perhaps a violent death. If you're her dad, how would you respond to that? I mean, what what are you going to say to that missionary man who wants to marry your wife and and probably take your grandkids in tow to some place and they're all going to be subjected to all sorts of hardships? I mean, what would you say in that moment if that's your daughter that he's wanting to marry? Or let's just say it's your son. Let's say he's your son and he looks at you and says, mom and dad, I'm leaving here and I'm gonna go give my life and it's probably gonna cost me my life to get the good news of Jesus out to that unreached people. I mean, what, what would you say in that moment? How would that moment go if you're the dad, if you're her dad, if you're his dad? Now, I wanna, I wanna clarify what my goal is in the next 30 or 40 minutes that we have together. I want to show you this morning from the scriptures why it's right to make that risk and a million others for Jesus' sake. And not only why it's good and right and makes sense to make that risk, but it's also good and right to experience the millions of losses that will come along with saying yes to those things. I want to try to show us why from the Bible it's right to say yes to that. Like if you're her dad, to say yes through tears, say yes to that. If you're his dad, why it's right to say yes to that. Why it makes sense to do that. And in seeing that, here's what I'm hoping this morning for. I'm hoping that God might unleash in this church family a million risks from our lives that God would create in this church family a church full of wild and reckless risk takers for Jesus' sake. That's what I'm praying for this morning. Hebrews 11 is gonna show us two things that I want us to see, two things. It's a two-point sermon. The two things, number one, are that risk is real. It's point one, risk is real. Point two is that risk is worth it. Risk is real and risk is worth it. Those are the two points. Let's start with the first one. Risk is real. 
The chapter is about faith, Hebrews 11. It's a chapter about faith. If you look at the top of it, it's going to talk about faith. That's, that's the whole kind of idea of what the chapter is getting after. And this chapter shows us that the life of faith moves us into a million moments of risk. And not just into a million moments of risk, but a million moments of loss in that risk. The, the chapter is showing us that faith really is spelled R-I-S-K. That is, that is what faith in action looks like. It looks like putting things on the line for Jesus' sake. It's showing us that Jesus wants us to take risk. This chapter is showing us that. This chapter is showing us that you really don't have to be amazing for God to do amazing things through you. But you do have to be willing to risk for Jesus. If you want God to do something great that you've got to be willing to risk, you don't have to be amazing. You just have to be willing to risk for his sake. Like Noah, when God comes to him and says, Noah, build an ark. Um, just like Abraham, when God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, leave your country and go to a new one. Where, God? I, I'll show you when you get there. When, when God comes to Moses and says, Moses, leave Egypt. Th then after you've left Moses, go back to Egypt and tell the most powerful person on the planet to let my people go. F faith is leading them into risk, just like it did for Joshua. Joshua, why don't you take the people of Israel and walk around Jericho? All of these are moments of risk. Walking by faith leads to a million moments just like that, moments of risk. And this chapter is showing us that the risk, exposing ourselves to the possibility of loss or injury, that the risk really is real. It's a real risk. It's not a fake risk. It's a real risk. You might actually lose. It is showing us that when we risk for Jesus' sake, sometimes temporally it goes great. And other times it goes temporally just terrible. L look at verse 32 in Hebrews 11. In verse 32, here's what we read. And this is 32 and beyond. And what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouth of lions. Man, that's what I want my wrist to look like right there. I put myself in a lion's den and like through faith, those mouths just close up. I mean, these are the stories that we want, right? They, they quench, the, stop the mouth of lions. Verse 34, quench the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That is how I want my wrists to go. I want there to be very few temporal losses and I want there to be a million temporal gains. Give me those risks all day long, right? But that's not how every risk went. Some went that way, but not all went that way. Keep reading in verse 35. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. Those are the stories we want, but it's just not on how all stories go. Some were tortured. Hear that. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockings and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Here's how God sees them though, verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. What, what do we learn there? 
we learn that risk for Jesus' sake is right. But not every risk turns out well. Some lived, some died. I mean, just you can see it there. Some were tortured for Jesus' sake, some weren't. Some suffered mockings and floggings, some didn't. Some were spared from the saw. Some had a, had a person get a saw out and cut their body in two and they were buried in two pieces. Some gave money away and still had money left. Some gave money away and ended up destitute. Some fathers say yes to young missionaries' requests for, for their daughter's hand in marriage, and they get to live to see their daughter die of old age. They get to see that life in their daughter. Uh, others say yes, like Anne's father, and never saw their, their daughters again. That was his story. He said yes, and he never saw his daughter again. Some missionaries say yes to risk and endure few losses. I mean, their losses are minimal. Others, like Adoniram Judson, they say yes to risk for the spread of the gospel. And he spent at one point 17 months in prison, tortured every day. Uh, he went on and in his missionary life, watched three wives die and seven of his 12, uh, 13 children all died because of his missionary labor. When his first wife died, he, uh, he just battled depression. And, and he went into the, the dark dungeon of depression and just had such a difficult time ever getting out of that. When his vapor of a life did end, it was on a ship. He was vomiting uncontrollably. He was coming in and out of consciousness. And, and in between like one moment where he actually is conscious and coherent, he mumbles his last words. His last words on this ship in the middle of the Indian Ocean, in the middle of nowhere was, few there are who die so hard. After he died, the captain of the ship dropped his body somewhere in the middle of the Indian Ocean, and that's where he's buried. What, what do we learn there? The life of faith takes us headlong into risk, and the risk is real. For some, it goes great, and for others, it doesn't. Now, that begs the question, why in the world would we do it? Why would you do it? Why would I do it? Why would Anne's father ever say yes in that moment? Why, why would we as Christians ever say yes to risk? Why would we do that? And this chapter gives us the answer. And the short answer is because risk really is worth it. Risk really is worth it. That's the short answer. It's, we take those sort of risks. We say yes to those sort of moments. And not just the risk, but even the loss that comes with the risk. We say yes to all of that because the risk is worth it. Now, this chapter shows us this in, in moments where it just flashes the answer at us. And let me just point to a couple of the places that it does that. It's not overt in the chapter, but it just flashes in various moments. Let, let me point out several examples. Look at verse 10. Why is it worth it? This is talking about Abraham in verse 10. Why would he leave his country and go to a new country? Why, why would he risk that? Verse 10, for he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Look down at verse 16. This is talking about all the people he had just mentioned. So it's Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, all these people he had just mentioned. In verse 14, he says, they were seeking a homeland. Then you get to verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, they were desiring a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What was their willingness to risk based on? 
their willingness to risk rested on a forward-looking faith. Their gaze saw through this world all the way to the world to come. They were living with a real tangible faith that really what this life is, is pre-life. That the real life, like what life is really meant to do, that, that is all out in front of us. That is eternity. That this is pre-life, that is gonna be real life. They were living with that sort of a forward gaze in their life. Look at verse 26. This is talking about Moses. Why would he endure all the risk and the losses of his life? He considered in verse 26, the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Why would Moses leave Egypt, then come back, plunder Egypt, tell the most powerful person on the planet at the risk of his life, let my people, people go? Why would he do that? The answer is, is because Moses really believed that every loss would be swallowed up in great reward. Hear that. The reason Moses did that is he really believed every risk and everything he lost would be swallowed up in great reward. He believed that. He trusted God. He trusted that promise from God. Look at verse 35. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. That's the story we all want. But here's the other story. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. They would not get out of prison. That refusing to accept release so that, why? So that they might rise again to a better life. What, what enabled these people to stay in prison when all they had to do is say, I don't love Jesus anymore. I'm no longer a follower of Jesus, and they could get out. What kept them in prison? Answer, this forward-looking faith that really believed they were going to rise to a better life. Really believing that everything they lost would be redeemed and given back to them. That everything they lost was going to be swallowed up in reward. That's what they were believing in that moment. That kept them in prison. Look at verse um, six. This is probably the clearest place to see it in the chapter. Verse six. It's talking about Enoch pleasing God. And then it goes on to say this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Think about that. Anything you do in your life that is not motivated by faith is not pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to, to please God, to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And then look at this last phrase. And that he rewards those who seek him. That he rewards those who seek him. What is what, what, what is the basis for our risks? What, what unlocks in us a willingness to risk? It is this forward-looking faith that believes God will make up for every one of our losses. It is this forward-looking faith that believes that while we seek him, while we're living by faith, while we're embracing risk, while we're embracing all of this loss, that one day God will reward us for that. That, that is the baseline. That's what, that's what our willingness to risk sits on and grows from. Maybe we could say it this way. What unlocks that willingness to risk? It's this forward-looking faith that believes every risk will be rewarded and everything lost will be multiplied and returned for all eternity. I'm gonna say that again. What, what is, what, what's the basis for our willingness to risk? It is this forward-looking faith that believes every risk will be rewarded and everything lost will be multiplied and returned for all eternity. I mean, just think about this. If you did not believe that, risk would be the dumbest idea ever. 
If you didn't believe that promise from the Bible, that, that promise from Jesus, this would, risk would be crazy. Paul agrees with this, by the way. In the New Testament, Paul will say, if that isn't true, here's what we should do. We should eat, drink, and be merry and try to eke out as much joy as we can now. That's what we should try to do. If this is not real, that should be our life. But if that's real, a million risks and a million losses that come from that risk makes perfect sense. If every risk will be rewarded and everything lost will be multiplied and returned for all eternity, a million risks make sense in your life and in my life. Now, I want to show you this isn't just contained to Hebrews 11. This is what we see throughout the New Testament. And I want to give you just four or five passages to help you see this. We're going to start with the teaching of Jesus. Jesus agrees with this for crying out loud. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark 10. And these are the words of Jesus where he is affirming that every risk will be rewarded and everything lost will be multiplied and returned for all eternity. In Mark 10, Jesus says this. This is in verses 29 and 30. This will be on the screen for you as well. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left, or you might could just say lost, there is no one who has left or lost houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, father, children, or lands for my sake or for the gospel. Now that's an important clarification. It's not just because you're risking to risk. It's risking for Jesus' sake. He is saying that, that there is no one who has left houses, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive in return a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now that is a staggering promise that Jesus is making here. That, that is an unbelievable promise. Why should we risk houses? Why should we risk brothers and sisters and parents and kids? Why should we risk all of it? Why should we do that? Here's the answer. Because Jesus promises every risk will be rewarded and everything lost will be multiplied and returned for all eternity. And now look at this passage. Look at that verse again. He's not saying, you know what? I'm gonna multiply it by two times. He doesn't say, you know what, everything you lose, everything you risk, it's gonna be multiplied by five times. He doesn't say everything you risk, everything you lose is gonna be multiplied by 10 times. He says it's going to be multiplied times 100. That's a pretty good investment, isn't it? That's a 10,000% return on your investment. Jesus is really saying that every risk will be rewarded and everything lost will be multiplied times 100 and returned for all eternity. Listen to one pastor comment on this. He says, what does this passage teach? Here's what it teaches. He says, surely what Christ means is that he himself makes up for every loss. If you give up a mother's nearby affection and concern, you get back 100 times the affection and concern from the ever-present Christ. If you give up the warm companionship of a brother, you get back 100 times the warmth and companionship from Christ. If you give up the sense of at-homeness, you had it in your home, you get back 100 times the comfort and security of knowing that your Lord owns every house and land and stream and tree on earth. Isn't this what Jesus is saying, this pastor's saying? He's, he's saying that Jesus is communicating this to us. I promise to work for you and be for you so much that you will not be able to speak of having sacrificed anything. All of our losses swallowed up in our gain. 
Turn to Matthew chapter 5. This will be on the screen for you as well. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you. Really? Jesus, you're saying that I'm going to be blessed when other people revile and but blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account for Jesus' sake. Not because, you know, you're just being stubborn, but because of Jesus' sake. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Now we should just pause right there and just ask the question, Jesus, how in the world can you say that? How can you say, blessed are we, how can you say rejoice and be glad when we're in our neighborhood and we finally build up the courage to open our mouth and talk about you to a neighbor and we get made fun of? How, how, can, we, how can you say blessed are we and rejoice and be glad? Or even worse, how can we say that if we're among an unreached people somewhere that really doesn't want a Christian there? And like my friend who planted a church in Pakistan a few years ago, he opens his mouth and he talks to his neighbors. They get an angry mob. They come to his house. They drag him. This is five years ago. Outside of his house, drag him into the street and beat him until he dies. How in the world, Jesus, can we say blessed is that guy? How can we say rejoice and be glad when that's our story? How can we do that? He answers it in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. That's why. Because every risk will be rewarded and everything lost will be multiplied a hundredfold and returned for you to enjoy for all eternity. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This is Jesus showing us why we should take risk with our generosity. Why we should give more than we think we can give. Why, why, should, we, why should we put ourselves in harm's way because we are so generous? Why, why should we do that? Jesus says it this way. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I mean, Jesus is showing us in this passage, just think about what he is teaching us in those two verses. He is showing us that we have one of two options. Option one, we can keep our money now and enjoy it. In the vapor of your life, you can keep it now and enjoy it in, in the vapor of your life. That's option one. Or option number two, Jesus is showing us that we can give our money away, that we can lose our money, we can risk our money, we can give away our money and possessions and then receive them back multiplied and enjoy them forever. He's like, that, that's your options. Enjoy it now in the vapor of your life or, or give it away and receive it back times a hundred and enjoy it forever. This is his logic in this passage. This is what he's trying to show us in this passage. Jesus is showing us that our experience of heaven later will in part be determined by our lives now. That's a staggering thing to think about, isn't it? That our experience of heaven later will in part be determined by our lives, what we do and don't do now. Now, just to be clear here, Jesus is not saying that we earn our way to heaven. It's not what he's saying. The destination of heaven isn't determined by our actions, but by Jesus's actions, right? That's how, we, that's how we're rescued and saved is by Jesus's actions. But he is showing us that our experience of heaven is in part determined by our actions. 
So we don't earn our way to heaven, but by our actions now, we can enlarge our experience of heaven. And he's showing us how we do that. How, how does that happen? And he's saying, when we give away temporal things that we can't keep, when we risk temporal things that we can't keep, we gain eternal things that we can't lose. That's the logic of the passage. Jesus is just saying over and over again and applying it to all of these different areas. Everything we risk will be rewarded and everything lost now for Jesus' sake will be multiplied and returned for all eternity. This is what Jesus is saying. And listen, Jesus lived that. In Hebrews 12, it says, he died on the cross, subjecting himself to all that shame. Why? For the joy that was set before him, for the reward that was set before him. This is why he did it. Let's take Paul. Paul is the greatest risk taker in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 11, he gives us his laundry list of risks that he took and the losses that he came about because of those risks. In, in 2 Corinthians 11, it says that five times, he tells us, five times I received 39 lashes. 40 lashes were designed to kill a human being. Five times he received 39. Three times beaten with rods, one time uh, stoned, three times shipwrecked, on journeys, frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. It's danger everywhere. He goes on to say he endured many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food. Paul experienced uncertainty every day of his life. He's showing us that when we walk by faith, it's going to, to mean we're going to embrace certainty. And with that, 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 or uncertainty, and with that risk came loss after loss after loss for Paul. How did he endure that? How, how did he do that? We, we see in a couple of other things that he wrote in the New Testament. Uh, go to Philippians chapter one. Philippians one, this will be on the screen for you as well. In Philippians one, verses 20 and 21, Paul says this. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. There's the risk, whether by life or by death. He doesn't know which one it's gonna be. But then look at verse 21. This is why he was able to endure all that risk and all that loss. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's actually gain. I, Paul is living with, with enough faith to look at his life and to look at the life to come and say, if they kill me, it's just gonna be gain. Paul, Paul is living with the sort of forward-looking faith that really believes every risk will be rewarded and everything lost multiplied and returned for all eternity. Listen to John Piper comment on this passage. He says it this way. When the threat of death becomes a door to paradise the final barrier to temporal risk is broken. I love that. Look at what he says there. When the threat of death becomes a door to paradise, the final barrier to temporal risk is broken. When a Christian says from the heart, to live as Christ and to die is actually gain. He is free to love no matter what. To every timid saint, now just, let's just hear this this morning. To every timid saint like you and me, to every timid saint wavering on the edge of some dangerous gospel venture, Jesus says, fear not, you can only be killed. That's the worst that can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you if you're a follower of Jesus 
is you get killed following Jesus. That's the worst thing that can be happened. But guess what? Your death is just the doorway to paradise, to the eternal party with God. Paul is affirming. Why is risk worth it and all the loss that comes with those risks? Because every risk will be rewarded and everything lost multiplied and returned for all eternity. One more for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Paul's at it again here. He says this. This, is, this might be my favorite verse in the New Testament. Paul says, For this light momentary affliction... That, that is all the losses that have come about because of all of his risk. And there were losses. Risk is real. He, he endured affliction. For this light momentary affliction is preparing. Just underline that word preparing. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are, are unseen are eternal. Why would Paul risk knowing that risk would, would cause him a million different moments of momentary affliction? Why would Paul do that? Paul says yes to those risks and yes to those losses because he knows those risks and those losses are doing something. They're preparing something. For, they're, they're producing something for Paul. He, he knows that they're, it's not wasted. They're, they're actually accomplishing something for Paul. He, he knows that. Pa Paul knows there is no such thing as waste when we risk and even when we lose for Jesus' sake. There is no such thing as waste when we, when we risk or lose for Jesus' sake. Now, why is that? It's because every present loss serves to enlarge our experience of eternity. I mean, is that, that's crazy. Every time we risk, it is enlarging our experience of eternity. Every time we lose, when we risk, Paul is saying it is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. It is producing for us more joy and a better experience later. Why would Paul endure beating after beating for Jesus' sake? Here's the reason. He knew that in every beating, his eternal home was getting better and better and better and better. Paul knew that every risk would be rewarded and that all that was lost would be mul multiplied and returned for all eternity. Now let me bring it to a close here. So, so what are we to, to take from all of that? This passage is showing us why it is that we can risk. Why can we do that? And this is really the, the hook of the whole set of sermons comes in this moment. The, the catch of the entire set of sermons comes in the next statement. Why can we risk? Why can we lose so much? Why does it make sense to do those things? Here's the reason. The basis of our risk-taking for Jesus is that we cannot ultimately risk for Jesus. That's the whole catch. The, the, the reason that we should take risk for Jesus is that ultimately there is no risk when we risk for Jesus' sake. 
Every time we risk, we're rewarded by Jesus. Every time we lose something, we are actually gaining in Jesus. That's the whole catch of the whole thing. Ultimately, we cannot lose. Ultimately, every time we risk, we win. Ultimately, every time we lose something, we win for all eternity because it's multiplied and returned to us. I love how one pastor says it. He says, by removing eternal risk, but by, by making things in such a way where every risk is rewarded, everything we lose is multiplied and returned. By removing eternal risk, Christ calls his people to continual temporal risk. The reason we can risk is because there is no risk in heaven. The reason we can risk is because every risk is rewarded in heaven, because every loss is made up for in heaven. Last Friday, I went to Bob Klein's funeral. Uh, Bob was a dear brother, been coming to our church, he and his wife Jane, for the last uh, four or five years. It was one of the most encouraging and at the same time convicting funerals I've ever been to. And I just, in that, in that funeral, I watched four of his grandkids get up and talk about their granddad. And if I had four grandkids someday by God's grace, and they said those words at my funeral, I would die a happy man. Their grandkids just started talking about their granddad, just praising him and applauding him. And one of them, Emily, got up and she was recounting his missionary sort of endeavors. Bob spent about a decade of his life in the middle of nowhere, Mexico, trying to get the gospel to people who needed the good news of Jesus. And now Bob's, Bob's son, Danny, is there with his wife, Cindy, and they have their grandchild, Emily, there in Mexico. And now that grandchild, Emily, is talking about her granddad, Bob. And she's like, man, I can't go to a middle of the nowhere's village in Mexico. I can't go to one of these villages without one of these old ladies in that village saying, man, how's your grandpa, Bob, doing? I, and just relaying how he had, God used that man to change them in that village. She's just recounting this story. She can't go to these villages without hearing that in that moment. And then she talks about how, how you know, Grandpa Bob gave this burden to Mexico to, to my dad, Danny. And now that burden is now passed into my heart. And this is what I want to do with my life. She's just recounting this story. And you're seeing this legacy of a risk taker for Jesus and what it's done in this family among these grandkids. And she gets to the end of her little spill and she says, in summary, I want to be like my granddad. I want to be a stubborn and wild lover of Jesus. I want to be wild in my risk taking. I want to be crazy in the risk that I would take for Jesus' sake. I want to be stubborn and wild in my love for Jesus, just like him. And then she says, why do I want to do that? Why is it that I would want that in my life? And she said, because I want my treasure in heaven. Eight days ago, Bob died. And Bob died with, with barely a penny to his name. He, he, is not an, he was not a wealthy man in human standards. But eight days ago, he walked into eternity as wealthy as anyone. And man, by God's grace, don't we want that? Don't we want to be a church that walks into eternity like that? Beyond imaginable wealth there, not, not here. 
Why would we want that? Because every risk will be rewarded and all that's lost will be multiplied in return for all eternity. In summary, uh, one pastor put it in just a poetic phrase. He said, when God removed all risk above, he loosed a thousand risk of love. And I pray that your life and my life would embrace a thousand risk of love. Let's pray together. I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you the things that would be helpful and to wipe away the things that wouldn't be. And I just want to be overtly clear in my hope for today. It's that we would all see the Scriptures saying, Every risk we take for Jesus' sake will be rewarded and every loss multiplied and returned for all eternity. That we would see the reason why risk and even loss makes sense. And my prayer is that through the power of the Spirit right now in this moment, God would take that truth press it into our souls and then unlock a new capacity to risk for Jesus' sake. That we would be like Grandpa Bob, stubborn and wild in our love for Jesus. That we would be risk takers for Jesus. We can't lose in that. You cannot lose. I mean, that's the whole catch. Every risk is rewarded, everything lost, multiplied in return for all eternity. So God, would you please now in this moment show us what risk we need to take? God, would you unlock a new courage to take those risks? And I can't even start to define the hundreds of different options that are available to those in this room. But God, I pray that you would cultivate a heart that just like Ann's dad could say yes to that young missionary boy. That you would cultivate a heart in this room that could look at, if Adoniram Judson was our son and say with, with tears and a glad and full heart, yes to that. God, would you do that? God, would you, would you create hearts full of faith, holding up our lives as a blank to you, willing to do anything at any time that you ever say? God, would you do that? And it is in the beautiful name of Jesus that we're asking that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.